For the News and Observer, I'm Don Vaughn, Capitol Bureau Chief and host of Under the Dome. You're listening to this episode for the week of September 4th, 2023. Happy Labor Day to everyone working today or off today and whichever day you're listening to this this week. Our show today is in two segments. First, I'm going to talk about sports gambling and casinos with Scott Ward of the Sports Betting Alliance. And then our second part, I'll be back with two of my politics team colleagues to talk more about North Carolina politics in our headliners of the week. So first off, uh, introduce Scott. Thanks for being here. Um, Vice President of the Sports Betting Alliance. So tell us what that actually means. It's basically these four four companies, right? That's right. Yes. Good morning, Dom. Thank you. And happy Labor Day to you. Uh, yeah, the Sports Betting Alliance is a national group that brings together the essentially the top four uh, companies in the sports betting world, mobile sports betting world. It's uh, FanDuel, DraftKings, BetMGM, and Fanatics Betting and Gaming. Between the four, they have in, in legalized states anywhere between 85 and 90 percent of the of the mobile market. Uh, and then in iGaming states, iCasino states, they're also the leaders in that industry as well in those states that have legalized iGaming. So North Carolina passed, I mean, I feel like it lasted over a year, two years before um, sports betting was was legalized here or will you know eventually be implemented for that. But the conversation has probably been going on much longer. How long have you been involved? How long have these companies been been wanting to to get into North Carolina? Well, so I mean, it goes back to 2018 when the U.S. Supreme Court uh, essentially said that states were in charge of, of legalization of sports betting. We started those conversations probably in 2019 in North Carolina. Uh, we've, we've had a bill for the last couple of sessions and some ups and downs in that process, but the bill eventually passed this year in June. And so we're looking forward to legalization, uh, hopefully by the Super Bowl, uh, but sometime, um, you know, early next spring. I think when the final, the final bill was that, you know, it needed to be within a year and it's basically just getting all the logistics in place. And so our neighboring state, you know, immediately to North Virginia is a little bit ahead of us. I had written a story with some of my other colleagues about what's uh what's it look like in Virginia compared to South Carolina compared to other states and is is a factor in how the states will decide to do this is competition part of it for or are they like kind of testing out to see like how things are going in Virginia with um, both betting and casinos and then South Carolina might be watching us since they you know have had the bills in committee but no movement there Absolutely. Um, you know, state competition is part of it. Uh, competition with the illegal market is, frankly, the, the bigger issue for us. Uh, you know, in the world of the Internet, uh, sports betting is is around us. You can, you can do it now in North Carolina. You could do it two years ago in North Carolina illegally. You can drive across the border to Virginia and do it legally. And so border to border competition is part of it. Uh, there are certainly probably quite a few uh, North Carolinians who are driving to Virginia to, to bet legally on sports. There's more that are probably betting illegally. Uh, on their phones with offshore apps, many of them not even realizing that it's illegal. And so, you know, to us, the when we talk about it to legislatures in Virginia, North Carolina, and other states, it's that competition with the illegal market that's most important to bring those folks out of that market, provide them consumer protections, tax it, provide some benefit to the state, and get it up and running in a legal way. One thing I noticed with, you know, um, Republican uh, Representative Jason Sane of Lincolnton, a lot of he was, you know, led the the sports betting uh, was pretty much the the main person out front here, and he always said this is already happening. So as far you know, so you could make you know potential tax money off of it. But one thing I noticed with the 
the debate in both the, the House and Senate and Republicans and Democrats is it was probably the most bipartisan issue over the past few years that everyone is either for and against. And they're very obviously you're because um, of who you work for, you're you're in support of it. And there are uh, Republicans that were, you know, like Sane and others saying this is going on. We need to, you know, you can't stop it. And then also uh, Democratic Governor Roy Cooper is like, you know, this is already happening. And then at the same time, uh, Republicans and Democrats were against it and for it for a variety of reasons. Um, some for just the fact that it's gambling in general. Others, what the bill would be, the amount of taxes, like who benefits, who doesn't, all of that. So is this something that is that the same um, in other places where it's political party doesn't really determine where you are on on just the issue of gambling in general or the um, you know mobile sports betting legislation? Uh, it, it has been. Um, you know, in North Carolina, you, you mentioned uh, Representative saying we were very happy to have his support. Uh, Representative Hawkins on the on the Democratic side uh, worked with Representative saying, um, you know, I like to joke that that in a hyperpartisan world. Uh, sports betting brings everybody together. Uh, and it's been true. It was true in North Carolina, as you saw with that bipartisan vote uh, in both chambers. Uh, and it's been true in every state that's passed this. This is not a partisan issue. Um, Republicans who, who tend to uh, love you know, freedom, provide uh, freedom of choice to consumers for their economic dollar, um, who just happen to be okay and like gambling, often join with Democrats who also feel the same way about those issues and also are looking to provide tax money to issues that they think are important. North Carolina, uh, we were very pleased that sports betting is going to be funding uh, historically black colleges in North Carolina. And that was something that was important to the Democratic caucus. And so we were happy that that occurs. That's that's different in every state. Uh, at the end of the day, we pay the tax revenue into the state and whoever or wherever the, the legislature decides to put that money is up to them. And, it, and it's, sometimes it goes to youth sports. Uh, in Colorado, it goes to water. Uh, other times it goes to obviously it goes to uh, to fund problem gambling efforts because that's important to us as well. But uh, it's a bipartisan issue in almost every state where this is passed. What is it like? How is it um, the kind of sports atmosphere in different states? North Carolina, we have professional sports, but and partly because you know I'm Raleigh centric, I'm thinking just like college sports. Is that a factor in how? how much business there is, you know, with the, the northern states where it's, it's you know, much more professional sports heavy than college. Does that change the dynamic as far as people's concerns about it, um, what they bet on, like how, like the time of year even, that sort of thing? Absolutely. You know, the sports calendar, um, obviously the NFL is the, is the, is the big one when it, when it comes to sports betting. That's where much of the gambling public likes to put their dollars. Uh, but others like baseball and basketball and college sports. North Carolina is going to be a huge college sports state. Yeah, I don't have to tell you that uh, North Carolinians love college sports, college basketball in particular. Uh, and so we do expect a significant market there. It's really important to us, again, going back to that, competing with the illegal market. All of these sports are available to you in the illegal market. And so it's important when when you pass a bill, and North Carolina was, is a great example of this, is a really great bill on this, to allow for robust betting on college sports that was part of the debate uh, that we heard in the House. Uh, it's happening now. It's happening in the illegal market. And North Koreans want to be able to bet on college sports. And so it's important that they do so in a safe and a reasonable way. When you bring it into the light, when you when you do it in the illegal market, you know what's happening. This is mobile. So we know exactly uh, who's betting on what and when and where. 
And that's how you find uh, illegal activity. It's happened in a few other states already where we've picked up some things that were uh, not quite right. And we're able to to uh, you know provide that to folks who can prosecute and make sure that 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 uh, that, it, that it's done the right way. That doesn't happen in the legal market. And so state by state, it's important that you have you have the ability to bet on all these sports that folks want to. North Carolina was a, was a, did a really good job on that, that they allowed uh, for betting. It'll be decided on by the lottery commission as a regulator, but but they allowed for betting on all of these sports that, that North Carolinians want to bet on. So let's talk about the other aspect of, uh, of betting, and that's that's casinos, either online or in person. And that's potentially part of why the uh, state budget here has taken so long. The last time reporters talked to, you know, Senate Leader Berger, he said that it's not something that's holding it up, but it was something that was introducing conversations earlier between the Senate and the House wanting it. And we'll see if that ends up in the in the final budget that comes out and, you know, knock on wood the next week or two, um, you know, months late into the fiscal year. Or it could be run as a separate bill or it's dead until next session. So what do you see next as far as and as casinos? online, in person, and and where North Carolina is heading legislatively? So, you know, we've heard the same as you have. Uh, obviously, we were we were super focused on sports betting until June of this year. Uh, but it, when, when we started to hear that casinos and potentially video lottery, lottery terminals were being discussed in the budget, uh, as I mentioned, my clients also uh, offer iCasino or iGaming. And just to be clear what that is, that's that's uh, the casino product uh, essentially on your phone or online. It's, it's craps, blackjack. Uh, roulette, the typical table games, and then slots um, to be offered on your phone. Um, seven states have that now. Um, in fact, New Jersey has had it since 2013, so there's a long history there of how that works. Um, and so iGaming and casinos operate in tandem. Um, we've seen in states where it's been legal that they support each other, that they increase the revenue for both products uh, together, um, and so they they work hand in hand. So, you know, our view is if if the state is going to be debating casinos and video lottery terminals and, and all of this sort of gambling expansion, which which we don't have an issue with whatsoever. Um, and, you know, that's the decision for the legislature to make. But if they're going to do that, they should include iGaming. That's where the consumer is. Consumers are on their phone. They're making uh, financial transactions all the time. They're purchasing things. Uh, it's, it's the future of where the commerce is. And so we should also include that iCasino product along with casinos and VLTs if they if they choose to do that. We'll see where where that goes. Scott Ward, Vice President of the Sports Betting Alliance. Thanks for joining me today. Appreciate your time. Thanks, Don. All right. I'll be right back um, with my um, politics colleagues, Kyle Ingram and Corey Dean, to talk more about North Carolina politics. We'll be right back. We're back. You're listening to Under the Dome. I'm Capitol Bureau Chief Don Vaughn here for our second segment with two of my politics team colleagues, uh, Kyle Ingram, whose name you'll recognize if you receive our daily Under the Dome, our cohort in newsletter form. So you can get the Under the Dome newsletters uh, written almost all the time by Kyle. Uh, and also Corey Dean, our higher education reporter. Um, before we get to a lot of the higher education news um, that came out this past week, um, we're going to start with Kyle talking about a different branch of government than a lot of what we usually talk about with the legislature and executive, and that's Anita Earl. So bring us up to speed for people that may have been preoccupied by, by other news this past week about what had been going on. Yeah, so Anita Earls is one of only two Democrats on the North Carolina State Supreme Court, and she recently announced that she was going to be suing this uh, oversight commission that oversees all of the court system 
Uh, it's called the Judicial Standards Commission, and they handle any complaints against judges. And this commission's been investigating Earls for a few months now, she said, um, because of comments she made about diversity in the court system. Uh, she gave an interview uh, this summer to a legal publication and talked about how there's a lack of diversity among Supreme Court clerks and lawyers who argue before the Supreme Court. She also mentioned that the Supreme Court had canceled implicit bias trainings that had been going on since 2021. So she spoke candidly about all of that and got a letter from the Judicial Standards Commission saying that her comments had violated some of the code of conduct for judges. So part of that code says that judges have to conduct themselves in a way that reinforces confidence in the impartiality and integrity of the court system. They said her comments violated that. So they've been investigating her and, and she's been threatened with disciplinary action. So there was a press conference this week in response. So what um, about what was it just her supporters or? Yeah, so it was uh, the North Carolina Black Alliance and Emancipate NC came together at the legislature and gave a press conference in support of Anita Earls and her lawsuit, which was filed in federal court. Uh, they talked about uh, Earls and her legacy on the court. They mentioned that uh, she had actually been floated as a U.S. Supreme Court nominee um, when Katanji Brown Jackson was appointed to the court. Um, and they talked a little bit about the politicization of the judicial system, uh, some recent changes under the new GOP majority. They made some big decisions when they came in, uh, reversing a gerrymandering case, uh, reversing voter ID. So they warned about that and uh, just expressed support for Anita Earls. Well, we'll see um, where that where that ends up. Um, the other, of course, major news this past week, we don't need to tell any of our listeners, was that um, at UNC Chapel Hill, um, Dr. Yen, a physics professor, was killed on campus and his graduate student has been charged um, in that murder. So in the aftermath, there's a lot of potential um, political moves, fallout, or we'll find out whether it's legislation, whether it's campaign issues, that sort of thing. Um, Democrats almost, you know, immediately called for uh, new new gun laws or changes. There's issue of campus security. There's issues of the fact that the Chapelville Carborough City Schools were also closed during this time. So it's a, a K-12 education issue, a mental health issue, a lot of different things um, factoring in. So Corey, where are you seeing the um, conversation potentially going, whether it's something that people want at the state level, at the federal level, just culturally, and where where law and politics comes into all of that? Yeah, I think um, it's important to frame what happened Monday um, in the context. And, and we helped on a story that our colleague Luciana really took the lead on about the lockdown generation that... Um, you know, I'm only a few years older than the students at UNC. I graduated a couple years ago, but, you know, I did lockdown starting in elementary school. And it's been the same for those students who have done lockdown drills or been in active shooter situations um, in K-12 school or in other public places throughout their lives. And this is kind of, you know, they had a rally um, after the shooting Monday talking about how this is their reality, that this is a real thing that they deal with every day going to school. So, um, you know, there was that rally and, um, you know, uh, some state representatives there, Greg Meyer and Anderson Clayton, the um, chair of the uh, state Democratic Party, um, who, you know, are calling for students to really mobilize around what happened Monday. It isn't necessarily the traditional mass shooting situation that we've seen play out at other 
uh, you know, in other parts of the country, but um, was definitely, I would imagine, still a very traumatic event for students who were on campus and had to lock down and shelter in place for, you know, three plus hours. So, um, you know, Greg Meyer called on students to make their voices heard at the legislature when they come back to vote on the budget in a couple weeks um, and to, you know, kind of use that momentum that what happened on Monday, you know, sparked within them to call on their legislators to enact various forms of gun control or mental health support. So you mentioned the story that that you and I helped um, with uh, with our colleague Luciana Kinasi about um, just this generation of of uh, growing up in lockdown that are now adults and well into um, and older. And then the current crop of kids, I remember it was around the time I graduated college. Um, I was at work and watching the Columbine um, uh, shooting on TV when I was working in a you know in a, in a college town. At that point, it was more of um, concern over over high school situations. And then as a parent, and my son was in preschool when um, Sandy Hook happened. I remember going on the tour for him going into kindergarten, and a parent saying, "Well, I'm going to be the one that asks." And it was about um, door locks and everything, and that was, um, you know, a decade ago, and it's just a repeat situation where it seems like on college campuses, they're at the age now where this has been their their entire lives, and are upset and want some sort of just something. There's a lot of where people want to uh, do something, and it seems like every every situation is different, whether um, a change in in laws or culture or security or services and it seems like it's a lot of different things yeah and even university policy and i think that there's um by the time this podcast publishes my or goes out my story will have published but um there's also i think a pretty stark generational difference between students and maybe their faculty or just older adults who didn't do lockdown drills growing up you know i talked to students who kind of felt like they were taking the lead in their classrooms because they felt like their faculty or their professors didn't quite know what to do. And the university has told me that there's actually no required training for faculty for emergency situations of any kind like this. Um, And, you know, I think that there's an opportunity for the university to, to learn from this and maybe enact some sort of training or um, you know, kind of equip, better equip professors and faculty too. I think, I guess a few years ago, maybe we saw with a lot of, um, some workplaces, you know, private, and I guess maybe not as uniform with public workplaces had, had training. I remember the Durham SWAT team coming in to work and, you know, explaining about run, hide, fight and that sort of thing. Um, because that's just the, um, that's what America, what America is now. Yeah. And sometimes some people think the answers are with the legislature and some don't. But I imagine this uh, these coming weeks as the as the session winds down, um, people will see something during yeah. points of personal privilege or whatever during a committee or vote or something like that. And the state budget, which we've been waiting on for many, many days and weeks now um, and the past has had some funding for school security. I think there'll probably be more scrutiny on what does that actually mean? and the mental health services, not just for potential people who are the perpetrators, but those that are going through this cycle mm-hmm. of, of worry and stress and, and everything else. So um, I imagine it'll be an issue in 
um, in the campaign, too. Yeah, so. definitely. All right. Um, let's move on to our picks for headliner of the week as, as we wrap up this episode. Um, let's maybe something of, um, about UNC in a way, um, a, a more optimistic, brighter uh, mode. Corey, what's your, what's your headliner? Yeah. Um, so by the time the podcast comes out, uh, listeners will know who who wins the game or who won the game, and I don't know right now. But um, the two Carolinas play each other in football this weekend, UNC and the University of South Carolina. Um, I think they play in Charlotte. Um, so I'm a UNC grad. It's been a tough week for Tar Heels, so go Heels, and I hope they win and that people are celebrating when this podcast comes out. Yeah. Don is unfortunately surrounded by Tar Heel That's right. bombs. Yeah. Oh, so many... <laughs> <laughs> there, well, I will say that at work, you know, a lighter moment in a stressful week, we had the potluck lunch with a tailgate theme. And there are three of us, uh, Virginia Tech Hokies in the News Observer newsroom, by the way, uh, Drew Jackson, who is our food writer, if you read his work, and Kevin Keister, our uh, video producer who's actually in the room as we're recording this um who doesn't always tout his hokiness but <laughs> but uh did uh wear a virginia tech shirt the other day and of course i had all my um hokey accessories and and everything else so go hokies may we beat odu this past week who knows like we're yeah. a basketball school now not a football mm, school mm, so okay. i'm gonna go with that <laughs> All right, Kyle, what's your headliner? Uh, my headliner is False Fall. Uh, these in the last few days have been really beautiful and uh, felt so nice outside. I hate summer. It's my least favorite season of the year. Uh, I'm really looking forward to being able to walk to work, uh, even in a jacket perhaps, without sweating. Um, so hopefully it's not too false. Anymore. Drinking a Diet Coke. Drinking yeah. a Diet Coke, of course. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Not Diet Coke in here. It's caught yeah. up today. But. Fall, I've been uh, saying that fall is a state of mind because the weather is going to heat back up, but you can, you can always have fall in your heart, you know? Well, I may or may not have pumpkin decorations out at home already. I mean, it's time. The yeah, season is, it is here. Time. It's mostly the apples candles. for back to school, yeah. but yeah, it's, you yeah. know, yep. it's it's time. So, all right, my headliner, if you're listening to this, the day that, that it came out, Monday is Labor Day. So shout out to all the workers out there. Um, I hope you have this day off. And if you don't, I hope you're well paid for working on Labor Day. Um, thank you for the labor movement for everything that you've done for all of us. So for the News and Observer, I'm Don Vaughn with Kyle Ingram and Corey Dean. Thank you for listening. And thank you to our earlier guest, uh, Scott Ward. Uh, we'll see what goes on with uh, gambling and future legislation. So we'll talk to you next week. For more from our politics team, subscribe to the News and Observer at newsobserver.com slash subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at Under the Dome and NC Insider and sign up for our weekly political newsletter, also called Under the Dome at newsobserver.com slash newsletters. Thanks for listening.